Thank you so much. I appreciate um, just all the participation today and the excitement. As we just get started, I want to say thanks to many of you who just reached out to us this week. You heard about the big storms that came through our area, not um, basically not in our district, but the next district over, we call it county, the next county over. Uh, a lot of destruction and homes lost and just a real uh, devastation for our area, not normal to get those kinds of storms. And so um, they say basically like a once in a hundred year storm. And so uh, we appreciate your praying and uh, many of you have reached out and said, how can we participate? Can we, can we give to relief somehow and all those things? And so I wanna say thank you for that. And uh, also really to encourage you to continue to pray for the Philippines as well. I know we, we prayed for the Philippines recently, but uh, the typhoon that came through, it just uh, sounds like it was devastating. We uh, have friends there who've been writing. Uh, when I looked uh, at the news just a few minutes ago before we started the service, I think they said around 75 people had been lost. Maybe uh, maybe that number will climb. And 300,000 or so people that are out of their homes because of this a typhoon through the Visayans and um, down into Mindanao as well. And so just be, continue to pray for the Philippines and just uh, ask that God would be uh, merciful and just give them the things that they need. And obviously, again, uh, there are opportunities to give toward uh, relief efforts, whether that's through the BGR that we've used uh, sometimes, the Baptist Global Response, or uh, some other ways. You, there are just opportunities, I'm sure, that are out there and you can make a difference with uh, those. So thanks for praying for us and uh, for your heart to always be involved in, in trying to make a difference when people are suffering. And so uh, we are grateful. Thanks too for um, the the story there and the and the effort put in by uh, Rita and and Lyle. Thank you so much for for that. That was a, I really appreciate it. It was a good 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 job. And so uh, I, I'm going to use the same text today as we talk about Joseph. And so uh, I'll just I think that uh, Lyle's read it for us. So I'm not going to read the text, but I do want us to pray and then we'll we'll dig into the word. Okay. Father, we do thank you for the way that you are at work in our world. And uh, Lord, when uh, there's just difficulty and sickness, when storms come, we uh, really do feel at the end of our own rope sometimes. And um, so we just want to pray for uh, your hand in those moments, Lord, whether that's a physical storm like this typhoon in the uh, Philippines or like the tornadoes in Kentucky and in the uh, states surrounding us whether that's uh, more of a, a figurative kind of storm, like that's come into our friend David's life recently and the cancer that he's uh, being diagnosed with and the battle that they're beginning, we pray for your peace to come into these situations. And God, we pray that your name would ultimately be glorified. We pray that when, uh, when we do have um, situations like this that are so tough for us to understand, that we would take that leap of faith that Rita was talking about, that we would trust you. It's uh, scary. And uh, so we pray that you would uh, help our unbelief in those times. And we pray that you would speak to us as we open up your word and we think about uh, Joseph and Jesus and Emmanuel, God with us. We ask that you would uh, speak to our hearts and we ask that you would be glorified. Thank you for Christmas and this time that we have uh, every year just to reorient ourselves to the great news that Christ came as a baby. He lived a sinless life. And the Lord, how we even look uh, forward to Easter coming in just a few months and the realization that not only did Jesus die on the cross for us, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day. So thank you for this 
uh, fantastic news that we have that changes our lives. And Lord, we have the opportunity to share that with people uh, around the world and see their lives changed as well with that. And so we pray you bless us as we uh, open up your word and we ask that you would speak to our hearts, help us to apply it well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, you did hear the, the text there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter one, starting in, should be in verse 18, I believe it was. Yeah, starting in verse 18, as we talk about the birth of Jesus and the way that um, the way that God began to work through and in the life of Joseph. One of the dangers that we always face when we're doing Bible study, when we're studying the scripture, is that we'll take a good point from a passage and we make that the main point of the passage. And sometimes there are a truly good, good points that are in a Bible uh, passage that there are things that we should uh, learn from. There are things that we should apply. There are things that we should emulate in our lives, but they're not really the main point of the passage. And in the Christmas stories, that's um, that I think it's especially a place that we maybe can uh, fall into some danger because there's stories that we know really well. And so we have sometimes a tendency to, especially to try to mine out some new truth. Let's find a new truth that people aren't normally thinking about um, when there's plenty of truth that people have been thinking about for 2000 years. We don't have to find something new in a lot of these stories. God came to Joseph in this text and he gave him an important job to do. And when Joseph obeyed and, and, and did the right thing, he took Jesus and he started his family and all of these things happened. We, we could apply that in a Bible verse. We could apply that by saying, so let's just go and be like Joseph. Let's go and be like Joseph. But I think that's really a bad application of the Bible story. I think it's true that Joseph did incredible things and there are things that he's doing that we can uh, emulate. But as Miss Rita was saying in her story just a moment ago, Joseph's important but he's not as important as Jesus in this story. So the things that Joseph did are important or critical to this passage, but it's not really what God is doing. And what God is doing, I think, is the main point in our passage. But even before we look too much at that, I'd like us to kind of zoom out or pull out a little bit and uh, think about what God has been doing all the way from Genesis in uh, the world, right? This is a story that features Joseph, but I want us to be kind of thinking about the whole Bible as we look at this story. Because for thousands of years, God had this desire. And the desire was that God wanted to be with his people. So from the time that he created the garden and he put man and woman in the garden, God was with them, right? We see that in Genesis. That he was walking with them in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and we also see this kind of thing happen over and over. God wants to be with his people, but the people in the stories continually choose something uh, different. Really, they just have God right there, but they reject him and they choose something else. When they were in the garden, they had God with them, but they chose instead to listen to the snake. When they're wandering around in the wilderness after the exodus, they're continually looking back and talking amongst themselves about, wasn't it great when we were slaves? Oh, remember when we were slaves, we had plenty of food to eat and we knew where we were going to sleep. We had protection and all of those kinds of things. God was with them as a, a pillar of, of fire and smoke. And he was, his presence was really in the midst of them. But they were saying, oh, I sure missed the days when we were slaves back in Egypt. Uh, when they got to the edge of the promised land and uh, Caleb and Joshua were saying, we can take this land. 
The people instead chose to say, oh, those, those people that live there, they're too big. We can never defeat those people. And so they had the voice of God speaking through his representatives, pulling them one way, but they just decided to go a different direction. When God gave them the Ten Commandments, they chose to worship uh, a golden calf. When the tabernacle was right in the middle of the community there, what did the people do? They said to Moses, would you go and speak to God for us? Because if God speaks to us, I'm afraid that we'll just die. And so would you go, Moses, and you speak to God and then just tell us what he says? They were always kind of trying to, God wants to be close. They were always looking for distance between him. And so they just uh, continually chose sin. They continually chose other gods. And and the Lord would uh, come after them more and more, sort of pursue them. And he would send finally foreign armies to come in and drag them off into exile. The, the, uh, the, the intervention became more and more and more severe until finally uh, God just cut them off and he didn't speak to them. He was actually silent for 400 years. I was talking to some people recently. And so we have this, the end of Malachi in the Old Testament, we come to the New Testament. And sometimes we don't think about the fact that this sort of blank space in the scripture is representative of 400 years, 400 years, the end of Malachi before the angel comes and speaks first to Zechariah in Luke's gospel, speaks to Zechariah, then he speaks to Mary, then the angel comes to Joseph in a dream. A long time has elapsed. And the difference in uh, those days and the difference in these stories, that, that especially the story that we're going to look at today, is this picture that God is finally going to be with them in a way that he's not been with them before. A theologian named Craig Blomberg, he wrote and said, Matthew's gospel both begins and ends with this picture that God is with us. We saw that in the text when uh, Mr. Lyle read this earlier. It says in uh, Matthew 1, 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's, it's right from the very beginning. And when we come down to the end of Matthew's gospel, they, they get the great commission from Jesus. And he says, and lo, or behold, or look, or listen, something like that. I will be with you. I will be with you until the very end. And so we have the beginning and we have the end of Matthew. God is going to be with his people. So we have that God hasn't spoken to his people in four centuries. He's not spoken for 400 years. And so it really does help us to realize how important these angel visitations were when, when the angel came to Zechariah, to Mary, and here to Joseph. Lots of us, maybe not all of us, but lots of us have grown up around these stories. And so we're, we're uh, really comfortable with this idea that a virgin was going to give birth to a baby, and that baby was going to be the Messiah who would save the whole world. That was, it's a story that uh, I've been hearing. My, well, I hear it in cartoons and in books. I sing it in songs. Um, even when my family was not in church, I still knew this story. I knew what was what the basic the, the basis of the story, what was kind of going on there. But for a people in in the first century, it wasn't really like that. Now we can look back through through history and say, well, the Jewish people should have understood that, right? Because we have all these prophecies through the Old Testament that point to how Jesus was going to come and, and be born in such a, a humble sort of way. 
but they weren't thinking that way. It was, it was so far outside Joseph's mind that as we heard in the story a few minutes ago, rather than uh, believe Mary, he decides he's going to divorce her, even though he loves her. He says, I love her. I want to do the right thing. I'm a righteous man. So I'm going to divorce her quietly because if I make a big deal about this, she could be stoned. She could be killed for being an adulteress. So there was no question in Joseph's mind. Mary has cheated on me. She had sex with another man. That's someone else's baby. But I still don't want her to be killed for that fact. He didn't think at all when she said, uh, no, no, this is something different. I don't, he just doesn't seem to believe her. He's just going to divorce her. And so when he gets this, visit, this vision, this uh, vision, a visitation from this angel in a dream, it's really critical to him uh, understanding and be able to take that leap of faith that uh, Rita was talking about in the story just a few minutes ago. So we'll kind of look through the uh, story and just look at uh, how this angel encounter uh, unfolds between Joseph and the angel. So in verse 20, it says he was considering divorcing Mary. And then the angel comes to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so we have first this angel appearance. The angel comes to him, identifies, right? That's always a frightening sort of thing. Typically in the scripture, when uh, an angel comes, people will just fall right on their face. So the angel comes and then immediately speaks some comfort and insurance. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then he gives this message. The baby that is in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. That's really critical for Joseph to hear. This baby is really from God. And then secondly, he says, you're going to give this boy a name. Well, I guess it's a boy. You're having a baby. It's a boy. And you're going to name this boy Jesus. And then he really gives him some instruction about um, what Jesus will do. He will save his people from their sin. And then Joseph, it says, when he awoke, he, um, he, he did all the things that he was told to do. He, he obeyed this vision that was uh, put forth to him. And we, even when we see later on, um, Joseph has other dreams and angels visit him again in dreams and continue to give him some instruction in chapter two about where they should be and how they should travel and some things like that. And so Joseph, when he's getting instruction, he is being uh, obedient, right? This is, this is how much he believes what he's getting from the angel. He acts on those things. So two things I want to really show from uh, the story about Jesus, because I, I think that these are really important. First, Jesus, according to the, what the angel says, Jesus is going to do things that only God could do, right? First, he says that the uh, Jesus will save his people from their sins. If you remember from other places in the scripture, Jesus would say, like to the paralytic, he says, uh, pick up your mat and uh, walk. And, they, and he says, your sins are forgiven. First, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then the people say, oh, who can forgive sins except God alone? And so to prove that God had done something in his life, then he says, uh, take up your mat and walk. So only God could be forgiving sins. And, and the angel says that that is exactly what Jesus is going to do. That's even what his uh, name would signify. The second thing that we see is in verse 23, Jesus uh, does things only God can do. And then he fulfills prophecy. Some of these stories are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. 
And Jesus fulfills these prophecies, like in verse 23 from uh, Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. They shall call his name Emmanuel. And so he fulfills prophecies. And we really, there are just scores and scores and scores. I, I don't know the exact number. How many prophecies Jesus fulfills from the Old Testament prophets uh, as he uh, lives and does his ministry, as he uh, dies on the cross, and as he is raised again as well. But most, maybe most importantly, what Jesus does that only God could do, Jesus is with people, and that is fulfilling this long-term desire that God had to be among his people. In the past, he'd always been speaking through uh, representatives. He'd been speaking through prophets. He'd been speaking through rules. And here, God was going to be actually in their midst, and he would be speaking to them directly. And so God was going to be giving them that direction, being with them in relationship in a way that uh, he only could do uh, through Jesus. The second thing that I think that's really important about this is that we see that God doesn't ask Joseph how he feels about uh, being involved in this whole thing. God doesn't, the angel doesn't show up and say, uh, here's, hey, Joseph, here's our working plan. How would you feel about how would you feel about being our God? We think you could really do this. They don't, God doesn't do that. The angel comes and he says, this is what's going to happen in your life. He just gives him the job. It starts to uh, uh, unfold. You're going to take this lady and then right, he gets more and more stuff that he has to obey down the line. You have to, you have to run to this other country and all these kinds of things. And as creator, we have to be just mindful of the fact that God calls people to do things whenever he wants to call people and have them uh, do things, right? He did that with Noah. He just called them and said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to build a boat. This is what kind of boat you're going to build. And this is what it's going to look like. And this is how you're going to fill it, all those kinds of things. He does that with Moses. I want you to go and say this and be here and stand there and do those kinds of things before Pharaoh and tell my people this and go to that place. He just tells him, shows up and tells Moses, this is how it's going to be. With David, he gives David real specific instruction. He just calls him, right? You're going to be the king. And uh, he doesn't ask David how he feels about that. He does it with Jonah. Jonah's probably the best example of when someone tries to say no, right? God, God says, here's what we're going to do. And Jonah says, I, I'd rather not. And then what? Jonah gets so much pressure that eventually he says, I'll, I'll do what you want, right? He doesn't have the opportunity to, to get away from what God wants him to do. We see it in uh, Esther's life. We see it through people all through the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament and it happens again. The angel tells Zachariah, this is what's going to happen in your life. He tells Mary, this is what's going to happen. And he tells Joseph, this is what's going to happen in your life. Later on, he, he tells Peter and he tells John and he tells Paul, this is what's going to be happening in your life from here on out. This is the way it's going to be. And we have to recognize that still until today, God is intervening in people's lives. He's reaching into darkness. He's saving people. And as he saves people, he gives them a spiritual gift. It's a gift that they are expected to be using then in the ministry of the church, right? We minister together for the advance of the gospel and so that the whole world can be uh, have, have opportunity to hear the gospel in a way that they can hear it and understand it and believe it. We're given the task of making disciples of all nations. That's going to take the whole church. It's not going to just take just a few people. So Christmas is a really vital part of this uh, gospel expansion. It's a vital part of way, the way that God is just speaking into people's lives and saying, here's what I want you to do. So God took on flesh to be with his people. Uh, Jesus dies on the cross to pay for our sin. And then 
we have this beautiful picture as Jesus is sort of taken away, right? He's resurrected and then he ascends back to heaven. God gives the Holy Spirit to continue in a way the uh, this indwelling that he has with his people. He wants to be close to his people. And so uh, the way that the Old Testament people never really could imagine what it was going to be like when Jesus was walking in their very midst, I think even those believers couldn't imagine the closeness with God that would be available once the Holy Spirit was living in us and through us and was working in us constantly. And so we have this sort of picture uh, continuing into the lives of the church to this to this very day. So if we come to the story, and we know that Joseph's an important part of the story, but we know the story is actually about what God is doing, what are some ways that we can apply a story like this to our own lives? I think that's important. We read the scripture. If we're trying to apply the main passage, what do we do to actually apply it? A few things. I would say first, we try to make the main point, the main point. Anytime you're reading the scripture, you want to try to make the main point, the main point, right? If God always wanted to be with his people uh, and he was making a way for that to happen eternally through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. But we see the Bible is actually really just filled with people who uh, heard God, who saw God and actually still just decided to uh, go on a different path. Even we'll think sometimes of these kind of heroes of the faith, right? And Joseph obviously is a major character. If you just ask somebody, hey, name me 10 characters from the Bible, Joseph would probably, he would probably come up. But when I counted through Matthew, I saw that Joseph's uh, name was mentioned seven times. He's mentioned seven times in Matthew. I, I could be wrong, but that's what I found, seven. And uh, we see him here and we see him in chapter two. And then after that, He's really not mentioned very much. As a matter of fact, later on in the book, when they're talking about him, they don't even use his name. They just say, isn't, isn't this guy the carpenter's son? So Joseph, who's a massive, important character in the beginning of this, becomes like, isn't he just the carpenter? What, is this not the carpenter's son? And then Joseph just sort of moves off the scene. It happens in Acts, too, when we get to uh, Acts. Basically, the first uh, 10 or 11 chapters, it's almost... It's like Peter, 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 Peter. You hear it over and over through Acts. Peter, Peter, Peter. And then you start to hear Paul, Paul, and then Peter. And then it just becomes Paul. And you just almost hear nothing about Peter in the last half of Acts because he comes in, he serves his purpose, and he moves on. Or with Paul, we have all of these stories about Paul through the book of Acts. And then Acts comes down to the end, and Paul's just in prison. And we don't know what happened. Did he get out? Did he get killed? Did he, what, you know, what, what happens? And we have to realize uh, Acts is not a story. It's not a biography of Paul. Acts is not a biography of Peter. Acts is a biography of the church. This is how the church came to be moving from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Bang. And Acts ends the same way. These are not really stories about Joseph. These are stories about what God is doing in Jesus at that time. And Joseph's Part of that is a big part of that, but he's not the most important part. So the moral of that, I think the, the application for that is we shouldn't be investigating the scripture and just looking for characters that we should emulate, right? These stories are important and there are a ton of things that we can emulate, but we shouldn't ever read and say, go and be like Moses, go and be like Esther, go and be like David, 
Go and be like Daniel. Go and be like Paul. The stories are never about those people. Those people are characters in a story about God. And so make sure that we make the main thing, the main thing when we're applying the scripture to our lives. Second thing, when, when uh, Joseph gets a clear word, he obeys it, right? And so our response should also be obedience. Joseph, his word was really clear. I wish God would speak to me in a clear sort of way, the same way that he does to Joseph. Here, do this, do this, do this, do this, right? It's, it's just very clear. And uh, we don't have that benefit sometimes. And we might say also, well, the thing Joseph's doing is way more important than the thing that I'm doing. But I would say your obedience is no less critical than Joseph's obedient, obedience, even though the task doesn't seem like it's quite as important. He's giving you something to do. And even if we would say, well, we don't feel like we get super clear direction from God, we have the opportunity just to sit day after day with our Bible to uh, follow that example that uh, Lyle and Rita were giving us earlier. We memorize scripture, we hide it in our minds and in our hearts, and we seek to obey those things all the time. As we read and understand, then we will, uh, we will need to obey. Obedience should really be our response. The third thing, the third thing is this. Notice how God uses unexpected people and expect him to continue doing those kinds of things. Jesus just comes from common sorts of people. I mean, we have the whole, his whole genealogy and there's obviously some uh, big stars that are in the genealogy of uh, Joseph as we go through Matthew chapter one. But the reality is no one would have picked Joseph to be the guy. No one would have picked Mary, this young girl to be the mother of the Messiah. No one would pick this part of town, right? That's the that's late, later on in the Gospels that you see people say, oh, does anything good come from Nazareth, right? He's just picking these things that are unexpected, and he's using them to uh, do something fantastic. Kings just are not generally born in a stable, are they? We, we, just, we just get these unexpected kind of twists in the story the whole time. So the part for you is don't assume because you're not from an amazing background that God can't use you to do something fantastic. He can. He can use you, even though you're a normal person, to do something fantastic because he's a fantastic God. That's the part that, to me, is so wonderful. We can see the way that he uses unexpected people in the scripture, and we can expect him to use unexpected people like us. And we can expect him then even to use people that we don't expect, right? There have probably been times around where you say, could God really work in that person's life? Can they really be saved? Uh, is it possible for them to be used? And it is. God uses unexpected people all the time. They might have a different background from us. They might have a different language than us. They might have some different cultural things going on. They might have some different customs. They might think differently. But just because they're different from us doesn't mean that God can't use them. I think it makes it very exciting. And then the fourth thing, the last one's this. We should really embrace that Christmas is about treasuring this idea that God is with us. Emmanuel, that God is with us. The baby in the manger is so important to the story. And we have nativities and we have our baby Jesus in the manger and we uh, decorate with those every year. 
the uh, wise man coming and bringing gifts. That's an important part of, of Christmas for us. And we continue that in a lot of ways, right? We copy that and we give gifts at Christmas time. God gave gifts, the wise men gives gifts, we give gifts. Uh, the angels came and they sang and we still sing. We sing these songs. We're gonna do it Friday night when uh, it's Christmas Eve and we have a carol service. It's still an important part of how we celebrate Christmas. It's a wonderful tradition to do that kind of thing. But the point is that God is with us. We treasure that part of Christmas most. We love the songs. We love the gifts. We love the decorations. We love all of those things. But the important part is that God is with us. And so if you're listening to this, whether you're listening to it when we're doing it live or you're listening to it, you find it on the internet at some point, potentially years down the road, if you've never really connected with God personally, then I would encourage you to connect with God personally. The truth about Christmas is that God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He's made a way so that your sins won't be counted against you. And so I, I, I just pray that you would be open to that relationship with him so that you could have your uh, eternity changed. So you might be in a spot like when we see in Luke chapter two, uh, how does God get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem because they don't live in Bethlehem? Well, this, the government calls for a census and everybody has to move. God moves all the people, almost all the people basically in the region to get these two people to this one town on this certain time. And so you might look and think, it really seems like God's been moving some circumstances in my life. He's maybe brought you into a new job or he's brought you into a relationship. He's given you a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that's, uh, uh, that's around to talk about Christ in a way that you've never really thought about before. Or maybe just some things have happened in your life and you're thinking maybe God is speaking to you. And I would say, if you think maybe God's speaking to you, God is most likely speaking to you. And so he wants to be with you. That's the thing that we should treasure most of all this Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we do think that it is fantastic that you love us. It's just wonderful beyond comprehension that you have a desire to be with us. Lord, I don't even want to be with my own self sometimes. And uh, even in the midst of my sin, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, you've always desired to be with your people. I just think it's such an amazing thing that uh, there are not constantly barriers being erected to keep us apart you are constantly coming after your people. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the time that we can be uh, celebrating Christmas or thank you for the testimony of Joseph that he was just faithful, that he wanted to go one direction and you intervened and he believed you and he took that leap of faith. And uh, Lord, the whole story was able to move the way that you wanted it to move. And so we pray that as you give us direction, that we would respond in a similar sort of way. Lord, help us not to feel like we always have to be the hero of our own story and let us be willing to allow you to be the most important character in our lives. And so we do thank you for Christmas. We thank you for uh, our family and for our friends. We pray for those who are traveling. We ask that you would help us to be good witnesses and to share this good news as we have opportunity during the holidays. And we pray that you would uh, allow people's hearts to be open. We pray again for uh, those who are suffering because of storms and loss. Lord, it's just uh, a challenging time when um, people lose someone during the holidays. And I just heard even this morning that 
Uh, a friend of mine lost his mother-in-law in the Philippines. And so we just pray for grace for these families. And we ask that you would uh, help them during these days. We pray that you would uh, just continue to bless and protect the church and that you would grow us. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, how you have been working over the years to make us a light there in JB. And we pray that you would continue to do that. So we ask that you would uh, bless and move in our midst. And we pray that you would just guard us and use us this week. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.